My name is Lisa. My name is Robin. And my name is Adiba. And this is the Asian American Brainstorm. Hello, everyone. We are so excited to share the story of Christy Yamaguchi, a Japanese American figure skater who is not only an Olympic gold medalist, but also an author and a philanthropist. To start off, Christy Yamaguchi was born on July 12, 1971, in Hayward, California. She is a sansei, or a third generation Japanese American. If generational naming is a bit confusing, this essentially means that both she and her parents are native born Americans, and her paternal grandfather, Tatsuichi Yamaguchi, was a Japanese American immigrant. Right, he first moved to Hawaii in 1899 as part of the first major wave of Japanese immigration to the U.S. There were some Japanese individuals who came to the U.S. as early as the 1500s, but large scale migration only really began after the 1868 Meiji Restoration, when a number of political, economic, and social changes encouraged people to look to the U.S. for new opportunities. Japanese immigrants were also being actively recruited to the U.S. by farm and factory owners seeking to replace Chinese laborers after the Chinese Exclusion Act of 1882. However, the rapidly growing Japanese population, as well as many other factors, triggered a severe racist backlash. For instance, the Immigration Act of 1924 completely banned all immigration from, quote, undesirable East Asian countries. Yeah. Speaking of racist backlash, Christie's grandparents were actually imprisoned in the Japanese American World War II concentration camps. Her mom was actually born in one of those camps. Yeah, so let's talk about those camps. Starting in the 1930s, Franklin Delano Roosevelt actually commissioned a string of investigations into Japanese Americans living on the West Coast and Hawaii. All of these found that the quote Japanese problem was non existent and that there was an additional quote here extraordinary degree of loyalty amongst this generally suspect ethnic group. Yeah, this is pretty, pretty awful, but also not surprising. I think that in 2020 or 2021, things are a little bit better. We don't usually label an entire culture as suspect. But back in that time, that type of racism was pretty normalized, unfortunately. Yeah, this is the whole perpetual foreigner myth, always treating people like no matter how long they've been here, like they don't belong based on their looks or where they're from. Yeah, exactly. And like still fighting it today, as we'll see with like Christie's whole story, but definitely in a very different form. Once World War II got started, Yellow Peril started growing, and weeks after Pearl Harbor, it reached a fever pitch. Japanese Americans were designated as enemy aliens and were forcibly relocated under FDR's Executive Order 9066. So, an estimated 120K Japanese Americans were incarcerated in concentration camps, two thirds were U.S. citizens. A third were first generation immigrants who had been barred by law from becoming naturalized citizens, and a good amount of these were just school age children. Which is really horrible because I guess the point of the camps were to like minimize sedition within Japanese Americans, but like these were not only citizens, but like so many of them were children. Like, where were they going to do, you know? 
And to top all of that off, the living conditions were actually extremely poor in the concentration camps. The hastily built houses were made of tar paper, so they lacked plumbing and cooking facilities. The camps were overcrowded and unsanitary, so illnesses like food poisoning, dysentery, and malaria swept through the camps. Armed guards would even shoot some of the detainees if they left the camp or if the guards just didn't like them. And 30,000 school children they all received subpar education for four years uh, as those concentration camp schools lacked a budget for books, supplies, desks, and teachers. I also remember reading a lot of the education there was like very much American propaganda. Like they're trying to instill like quote American values in the kids, which like I can't imagine like being a kid in there and being like, okay, these are an American values you're teaching me about, but like also we're imprisoned here against our will for no good reason. That's just wild to me. So finally, the concentration camps were ended by two court cases, Korematsu versus the United States and Ex Parte Endo, which together ruled that although relocating Japanese Americans against their will was totally constitutional, totally fine, incarcerating them was the problematic part. And so <laughs> they got to be sent back. So the detainees were sent home with $25 and a train ticket to their former homes. Most of them didn't even have a home to return to anymore since their property had been confiscated. Some chose to stay in the camps since they had nowhere else to go. But then the WRA pressured people to leave the camps anyways. At first, they gradually eliminated the services in the camp, and later they forcibly removed people from the camps. Which is just horrible, because like, they didn't ask to be there, and now they have no other choice, and you're kicking them out. Obviously, Japanese Americans suffered a huge emotional, psychological, economic toll as a result of incarceration. And so that was untold amounts of damage. It was only through the unyielding and vocal efforts of a bunch of Japanese American activists as well as allies that the U.S. finally apologized and finally paid reparations to detainees and their families. And these reparations actually weren't paid until 1988, which was over four decades after the camps were disbanded. That's so horrible. Like, I am so glad that, like, activists fought for so long, like, for so many decades, but I can't imagine, like, how hopeless that must have seemed to just be, like, fighting year after year after year to get some kind of, I don't know, like, some kind of apology for what you've been through and, like, the entire time being told, like, oh, like, it wasn't that bad, you know? So we barely touched the topic here. We encourage you all to do further research into these Japanese-American internment camps. Some great documentaries to get started are Japanese Relocation, a U.S. propaganda film from 1945, which is available on YouTube. Unfinished Business, which tells the story of three men who refused to go to the camps, available on Vimeo for $2. History and Memory for Akigo and Tagashige, which tells the story of the filmmaker's family who was incarcerated, which is available on Vimeo for free. Returning to Christy, Christy was born with club feet, which actually are when feet are turned inwards towards each other. She had to wear a cast when she was an infant and eventually shoes with special inserts to keep her feet straight. Her older sister, Lori, started skating uh, when Christy was four and she really wanted to skate. Her mom had told her, you're a little too young right now, but once you learn to read, you can begin. And I think it says a lot about Christy and her passion for skating that 
she waited essentially two years and still asked her mom as soon as she could learn to read at six to start skating. And so that's when she began, began her ice skating career. Her mother supported her sport, especially because she thought it would be a good way to keep her legs strong. While her older sister Lori quickly dropped out of ice skating, Christy's love for the sport only grew. Throughout her skating career, Christy had what her mom described as an unparalleled drive. At eight years old, she skated in her very first competition and placed second to last. So humble beginnings for Christy. However, she refused to quit. That same year, she went with her parents to to see the 1980 Ice Skating Nationals. There, she actually told her parents that she wanted to be up on the rink. She began practicing every day before school. She actually got up at 3 a.m. every morning and even woke up her mom sometimes to help get to the rink on time. Wow, that's pretty impressive for someone her age. I don't even know if I could do that now. For sure. (laughs) She was also inspired by Dorothy Hamill, an American skater who won the Olympics in the 1970s. So she would often even set a figurine of Dorothy out to watch her as she practiced on the rink. All of Christie's hard work and dedication paid off. In her early teens, she won multiple awards in singles and doubles skating. During that time, Christie also went on to fulfill her childhood dream of not only participating in the U.S. championships, but winning three consecutive silver medals. Yeah, that's truly amazing. There actually came a point where Christie had to choose between singles and doubles. At the time, it's actually pretty rare for people to both do singles and doubles. And so she was getting to a point where uh, she had to pick one and become more specialized in one or the other. Around the same time, unfortunately, her doubles coach passed away. So she ended up deciding to focus on singles. Um, In 1991, she moved to Canada with her singles trainer, Christy Ness, to get to the next level. That must have been really hard. The loss of her doubles coach, the separation from her doubles skating partner, and the move away from her parents to a completely new country really forced Christy to reevaluate why she was skating and why she was changing so much of her life for the sport. She ultimately decided that she couldn't live without it, and so she began like skating for herself and not for anybody else, not for her judges, not for um, her parents, just for Christy. And so through that, she found new love for her sport, she developed a new training routine, and as a result, her performance skyrocketed, really improved, and she won a lot in the next few years. Yeah, she actually placed in a series of U.S. and World Championships throughout 1991 and 1992. In 1992, she won a spot to go to the 1992 Winter Olympics in Albertville, France. Joining her on the U.S. team were Nancy Kerrigan and Tanya Harding. It's really interesting to see how the media treated Christy Yamaguchi during her Olympic run. For example, some journalists would tell Christy, quote, my, your English is very good, something that Nancy and Tanya would definitely never hear. You know, this really grinds my gears. (laughs) She was born in America, so it's not as though English was her second language. The notion that her English would be bad just because she looked Asian is, quite frankly, a little ridiculous. Another interesting thing was that during these couple years, 1991, 1992, the Team USA had a lot of really skilled skaters. Um, Alongside Christy, there was Nancy Kerrigan and Tanya Harding. And at this time, the sport of ice skating was highly correlated on whether you captured the ideal of femininity. 
Tanya Harding, for example, was often described as tomboyish or less feminine just because she didn't have a certain body type. Yeah, there's a really high standard of beauty in figure skating. Like, for instance, when asked what distinguishes women's figure skating from women's gymnastics, one official stated, quote, 90% of our girls are attractive and they all have breasts. Uh, yeah, that's really rough. <laughs> it's interesting because Christy, on the other hand, was portrayed almost as the opposite or this perfect feminine figure. Uh, looking back on this, I think it's very possible that Orientalism or the notion that the East must always be the opposite uh, to the West, the West being typically portrayed as dominant, manly, mature, and the East being passive, feminine, and more childlike may have had an effect on how Christie was perceived when she skated. Yeah, for example, Nancy was often described as a Catherine Hepburn-esque beauty, whereas 21-year-old Christy Yamaguchi's, like, an adult here, was an itsy-bitsy California girl. They really infantilized Christy Yamaguchi relative to her teammates Nancy Carrion and Tanya Harding, but was careful to emphasize Yamaguchi's Americanness in contrast to Midori Ito, which, who was often described in really dehumanizing terms. Yeah, so Midori Ito was their competitor representing Team Japan, and it's really fascinating because she was often described as like short, squat, with bowed daikon legs, which are just like terrible ways to describe a person, but also just really revealing of their biases when like compared to, for instance, how they described Christy Yamaguchi, who is still, who is petite, but pretty rather than short and squat. Absolutely. There was, there was no need to describe her that way. There was also a Newsweek cover story that tried to tie Yamaguchi and Ido together uh, because they're really trying to come to terms with the fact that like a Japanese American was facing off against a Japanese woman in figure skating. So for instance, it said, Yamaguchi's and Ido's bloodlines both stretch back, pure and simple, to the same soft cherry blossom days on that one bold little island of Honshu. Certainly, deep within her, Yamaguchi is still Japanese. Some of her must be. And if she should win, it's because while others have the triple axle, only she has the best of both worlds. I cringe <laughs> at the cherry blossom and best of both worlds. Yeah, I mean, this is not Hannah Montana, guys. Uh, <laughs> calm down. <laughs> She's just American. You don't have to tie this back any like further than that. Like, You don't have to pretend like It's not that deep. Yeah. It's similar to a 1998 headline that proclaimed, um, quote, American beats Kwan when Tara Lipinski beat Michelle Kwan for the 1998 Olympic gold medal in women's figure skating. By the way, Michelle Kwan is a second generation Chinese American. Uh, <laughs> American beats Kwan, y'all. This also actually reminds me of a wartime commentary that anyone with even a drop of Japanese ancestry was considered Japanese and not American. It's almost reflective of the racist black American one drop of blood theology of older times. Right. It's like as soon as anything not white enters the bloodline, it's considered suddenly impure somehow. It's also really funny that you should mention World War II again, um, Lisa, wartime commentary, because like World War II is like a second resurgence of anti-Japanese sentiment. And in the 1970s and 1980s, there was 
yet again another resurgence of very prominent anti-Japanese sentiment. And so Christie won her Olympics gold medal um, at the tail end of this time, which was really based on the fact that like a lot of heavy industries in the U.S. were experiencing layoffs, like going bankrupt, while Japanese businesses were rapidly expanding into the U.S. This was actually most obvious in the automobile and electronics industries, as well as in the sale of U.S. commercial and cultural symbols, such as Columbia Records, the Rockefeller Center, to Japanese firms. So Japan was considered almost a threat, but also an economic success, reinforcing the image of Asian Americans as the model minority. Infamously, Chinese-American Vincent Chin was beaten to death in Detroit in 1982 by two white auto workers who thought he was Japanese. Yeah, that's a really sad story, and I hope that soon we can cover that case in more detail in this podcast. But essentially, like, I just really think that goes to show how much hatred there was towards Japanese and Japanese Americans as a result of, like, Japanese auto culture and, like, Japanese electronics really taking off in the U.S. Definitely. Despite all of this negative press between Japan and the U.S., Christie ended up winning gold in the 1992 Olympics. She actually fell during her long routine, but she recovered gracefully, and all of the other competitors also fell. So uh, at the end of the day, she ended up taking home the gold. Olympic athletes actually make most of their money through sponsorships and commercials with various companies. In Christie's case, uh, some have looked back and theorized that she may have got fewer sponsorships than she, than she would have had she been Caucasian really rough i mean like she's not hurting because like she did end up she has made a lot of money from like her success as well as like the things that she did after her skating her official skating competitive career still like it is interesting to think about like to compare christie's post skating success with like other skaters for sure After her Olympic win, she actually went straight into professional skating, going on tours with professional groups such as Stars on Ice. So we watch videos of Christy ice skating, and I don't know much about ice skating, but the jumps look pretty incredible. I took some ice skating lessons when I was little, and to me it was pretty clear that Christy performs very well under pressure. Even the few times she missed a landing, uh, she recovered very gracefully and got right back into performing. She didn't let it phase her, and I think this gave her a major advantage. Also, in the 1991 U.S. Nationals, which is one of the videos we watched, she got her very first 6.0, which is a perfect score from one of the judges. There's a moment with her coach and her where they're just overjoyed and almost in disbelief of the score, and that particular moment is very sweet. I love that. Christy has remained active outside of the skating world as well. In 1996, she established the Always Dream Foundation, which provides funding for after-school programs, computers, summer camps, and other educational needs for underprivileged children. Currently, the foundation is focused on early childhood literacy. And part of the reason why literacy is a major focus at the moment may be Christie's interest in writing. She's authored several books, including Always Dream, Pure Gold, and Figure Skating for Dummies. Yeah, in 2011, she published an award-winning children's book, Dream Big Little Pig, which is really cute. (laughs) It got to number two on the New York Times bestseller list, and a portion of proceeds went to the Always Dream Foundation in order to further support childhood literacy. 
Christy has also made appearances in many movies and TV shows, including Dancing with the Stars. She actually won her season of Dancing with the Stars. I listened to some little clips from that season, and it was very reminiscent of watching it as a, as a little kid, a very, like, mid-2000s thing. <laughs> yeah, I bet she'd be good at dancing, given, like, I don't know, like, ice skating feels like a lot of dancing, but now you're on ice. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Christy currently lives in California with her husband and two daughters. She actually married her husband, Brett Hedekin, in 2000, and she met Brett at the 1992 Winter Olympics because Brett was a professional hockey player representing Team USA. Yeah, I actually stumbled across this BuzzFeed video of her training both some non-skaters on how to skate as well as a professional hockey player. And the professional hockey player happened to be Brett. Clearly, they have a lot of chemistry and really good banter. It was a very cute video. I love that. (laughs) Oh, that's so cute. So you've learned a lot about Christy Yamaguchi. What do you want to take away from this? I am so inspired by her hard work, her dedication, just like her single mind focus on like, I love ice skating. This is what I'm going to do in our early 20s. Like it can be hard to like find that kind of dedication to a single thing, but I kind of want to like try to take that into in smaller versions into different parts of my life. I think we all enjoyed learning about the Japanese American history since we never learned that in school. We were especially fascinated by the long saga of the internment camps and would recommend everybody to learn more about that. Agreed. That was really eye-opening for me. I knew about it, but I didn't realize the extent of like how the U.S. government acted towards Japanese Americans and what they suffered. I definitely wasn't aware that Christy was an author before uh, we did some research for the story and definitely want to check out some more of her kids' books. So that's a thing that I'll be doing in the future. I'm going to need to check out the figure skating for dummies book. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Like, grow up in Florida. I don't know what. (laughs) I don't know how to ice skate. (laughs) Yeah. So that concludes our episode on Christy Yamaguchi, Skater Extraordinaire. If you enjoyed learning about important Asian Americans in history, please subscribe to our podcast. If you'd like to read personal stories from the Asian American community, you can visit our website at www.whereimreallyfrom.com. Thank you so much for listening.